Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode number 63. In the studio tonight, we have myself, Paul Spain. You are Bradley Burrows. And Skip Parker. How are we doing, guys? Not bad. Busy. <laughs> you, we'll go. You're beyond busy. That's yeah. the crazy thing. It's complete madness at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. My next six, six months are going to be huge. All right, well, in the last few days, there, as usual, there's been a few uh, interesting tech topics. One of the ones that that um, we've sort of chatted a little bit about over email that's quite fascinating is the talk from Facebook around uh, people sharing their passwords, their Facebook passwords, with potential employers. Well, it's not sharing. It's... If you want this job in this organisation as part of the background checks, you will give us your Facebook password. Yeah. So it's not sharing; it's more of a well, it's, we'll, demand, we'll, it's, it's demanded demand. that you <laughs> that, that you share your password. Correct. Right. Yeah. So it's like, oh boy, I could go on a rant tonight about this. This is horrible. Don't go, you think? Go on then, rent. I mean, seriously, is this not World War Two military styled? Soviet war type stuff where it's like you will comply otherwise you will not get the job I mean it's appalling do we actually know of any uh, I mean has yes has it been publicised yes who law firm accountancy firm in Texas have uh, are doing the practice at the moment um, one other firm in Los Angeles, which is an advertising agency, has currently got the practice, but they don't discriminate if you say no, whereas the two firms in Texas, it is part of the, if you want to get through that gate to get through the next round of interviews. And uh, two companies in Canada have confirmed also that they're doing it. Wow. <laughs> so if a company in New oh, Zealand man. did it, if we were to be really mean... yeah. Oh, they would get which, which, slammed. Which, no, which company in New Zealand would it be? No, we don't want to label anyone like that. Oh, <laughs> I'm just, that's I'm a just, lawsuit. Wait I'm to just, happen, I'm that just one. kidding. Um, maybe it's a gorilla crowd. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I, legally in New Zealand, they would just get absolutely pwned. I mean, there would be no reason. The, the human rights issue there is just phenomenal. But it's just the pure access. I mean... Look, I can. They they want to know what's going on in your in your private life to get an understanding whether you're a complete, well-rounded person. Blah 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 blah. There's two ways of getting around it, right? If they did introduce it, and you did have to go for a job. Make sure you got a fake Facebook account that says you love puppies and dogs and butterflies, and give them access to that one. Well, I would. Oh, you, so you I'm would con- never get a job then. No. So am I connected to your fake account then? Yeah, exactly. This <laughs> is I like everyone. That's right. Um, but no, but that's what you're going to have to do. And if it, it, I just, I think it's just shocking. I don't think there's there's, there's boundaries and there's lines uh, for where your work life is your work life. And I mean, we already have the laws with drug testing and alcohol and all that sort of stuff in the workplace, which makes sense. Which can, if you can't do your job to the satisfaction of the employer, which is fine. But what you do in your personal life is totally up to you what happens if they said well we don't want uh, we're not going to employ you because we looked on your Facebook and we, we know that you believe in Satanism well how's that going to stop me doing my job mm, mm. that's absolute crock of poo <laughs> couldn't like to swear so I'm being very polite I, I think um, I can see where some companies are coming from because there has been cases when you employ someone and they will badmouth your organisation in the social network spaces and stuff like that or you know there's been a history of that so I guess some employers are trying to get a handle on that sort of stuff 
the thing that I find surprising is they're so blatant about it because, to be honest, a lot of the stuff is going to be public anyway. Half the people on Facebook haven't got a clue how to set privacy options anyway. Um, and if you're using Twitter, well, all bets are off anyway because Twitter's generally public. Twitter's public. No, yep. Twitter's public. There's no black and white. It, sorry, no gray area. It's black and white. Twitter is a public. So as, a, as an employer, if I was an employer, which I'm not, um, I, I would quite easily be able to find information on someone like Paul and just the way he operates and the way he discusses things from the net. Paul's you know, three, three searches in Google is pages and pages in Paul Spain. And I Google. think Google has dedicated service just for the Paul yeah, Spain yeah, search yeah, phrase. Yeah. But, right. I mean, you, could, you can generally get a, a feel for someone through um, what's on the social network sphere just by being able to know basic information, which would be part of the CV process anyway. So I, yeah, I think the, the blatant asking of logons for Facebook is a little crazy and over the top. Um, but yeah, as a privacy advocate, I think it's just completely wrong. So some companies in Los Angeles right now, where you're going into, um, we call them Mac hires, but where you go into internships and stuff like that, mm. uh, what they're wanting to know is they want to know how many people you have on your LinkedIn profile that you follow and, and been recommended by, and how big your social. They want to know how big your social circle is on your Facebook and other areas, so they can see whether you're good at networking. Now, I can understand that one from a inquiry question so you can see whether that person's got the right skills to communicate and articulate what they're doing. But to be able to go, well, I want to actually see what you've been saying and what the photos are and all that type of stuff, no, that that's wrong. Okay, I've got one last question around the whole social network thing because it's kind of a tricky thing for businesses to get their head around. If I come and join your company and I build a profile up, I, I don't have a Twitter profile, but I join you and I start my Twitter profile, you know, say... Um, skip from Microsoft, for example, and I start getting followers around my activities at the office in my skip at Microsoft profile kind of space, and then I leave. Who does that belong to? I set it up myself, but there's no agreement with the organisation as to who that belongs to. Depends on your employment agreement. Um, but you I, know. I would guarantee a lot of employment gear yeah. agreements won't cover it. They won't. It was actually a case in New Zealand about two months ago where there was a small startup where one of the lead developers left and they said that because there was nothing in the employment agreement, the because the Twitter handle was registered under his personal account, so it wasn't a company account, yep. as in their email address, it belongs to the it belongs to him. Yeah, it depends on the identity of of the account. If the you know, if the company was called uh, you know new company and you set up a Twitter account called New Company, yeah, then yep. you, then you would you know you'd be in any sort of hot water if you tried to ta- you know carry that off with but you. But Paul Spain is, is is a presence. It's on a large Twitter presence that's out there now. If you moved on to another organisation because that's tied to you, that's not tied to the organisation. You would that the organisation can't claim that even though you've built up your own social following, right? Mm. So that's. And that's a classic example. And um, the guys that did Modern Warfare, the Modern Warfare games, uh, Infinity Ward, their community manager is Robert Bowling. And his uh, Twitter account is Robert Bowling. And he does communicate a lot of official stuff from Infinity Ward from his Twitter account, Robert Bowling. Now, if he goes off to a competitive gaming company, that's a lot of followers that follow him. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I think it's something that businesses need to start getting their heads around um, when they go to employ people, especially that are going to engage in social network spaces. I know it's a big one for radio stations and TV stations to get their head around with personalities. Um, so everyone's talking about Facebook. Have you, no one's mentioned Google+. Is is Really? Is that still around? 
<laughs> Google Plus is a really interesting one because it, you know, little bits and pieces keep popping up. I'm seeing uh, there are quite a few companies now that link to Google Plus uh, profiles as well. Um, but you know, we've we've heard the stats, haven't we? That the average amount of time an average user of Google Plus uses it is uh, three minutes a month compared to what's the average user of Facebook uh, use it? it it's yeah. you know, it's it's you know, many hours per week. So it's a, um, you know, it's a, it really is a whole different ball game. But Google have got the money and the commitment to try and pull this one through. Do you guys think that they can uh, they can turn it into something that is, um, you know, going to hold a long term place in the social media space? I think they're starting to cement itself as an important part of search engine technology, because by doing the one plus the plus one Google. Um, buttons all over the website which I have to admit I'm seeing a lot more of these days um, you're actually in, injecting that data into your personal search at google.com so I log on with my Google account and I start searching for things I will often at the top of the list get recommendations from friends above the rest of the search patterns so I think a lot of businesses need and do you to like that? It. yes and no um, I've seen a lot of discussion, a, a lot of things on online about it that are really negative, and you know I've read about people saying we are going to stop using Google as a search engine. We want the same results that we used to get six months ago, but there are people that I've you know connected with through Google Plus or whatever. Their stuff's coming up the top. It's not actually. I, I actually want the old. Resp- I want the 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 real raw Google answer. I don't want all this extra stuff now. There may be a way to turn it off, and I haven't come across that yet, but there are some people that are really up in arms about how much uh, influence uh, Google Plus and the Plus Oneing, that sort of stuff, um, is actually having on um, on you know basic search results. So there's not enough active users on Google Plus to make it worthwhile. They've got 60 million registered users, but the active user accounts are something between 4 to 8 million. Right, so the problem they've got at the moment is they've got two ways they can go to answer your original question. It's two ways this can, can go. They can have a lot of active, sorry, registered users, but have very little little active users. So therefore, it'll slowly die off and it'll become a federation type service, like other sort of areas have become. If they can get the active users up, then the search data becomes more valid. And this whole discussion sort of goes away because it's aggregating thousands and millions and millions of people's views into one area and you're getting more accurate. But the problem at the moment is they don't have enough active users and that's the, that's the critical factor I see with Google right now. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think I'd like to see the Hangout feature more used in Google because I think that could potentially be quite useful. The problem I have is that none of my friends are using Google at the time I use it. None of my friends use Google Plus at all. Well, and I've, I, got, I've got Google fanboys as some of my friends, trust me, and they still use Facebook. Well, it's just another thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, so. now, I think I said to this before, if, they, if someone writes a bit of code, here's a, here's a New Zealand startup, write a piece of code that does a middleware between Google Plus and Facebook and makes it seamless and goes through, you're going to be on a winner. You can't yet because Google have not exposed the API. They haven't exposed it for that level of integration. But they're yet. open source. Aren't they? I thought Google's all open sourcey thingy on this one. 
No, I mean, they haven't. I think part of the, the reasoning behind it is they don't want the platform to end up with the spam that you get from Twitter and Facebook because, you know, opening up the APIs does allow that sort of stuff to come in a little bit. Pro- probably a little less in Facebook, definitely a lot in Twitter. Mm. So I think what they've done is they are progressing towards it slowly in a, in a measured fashion so they can figure out just how they're going to handle the, the business spam. In fact, they even, um, Pete Cashmore, right, from Mashable, had a Google Plus account, and they actually closed his account down because they said you can't you can't use an account as a business. And so they looked at Pete Cashmore's use of Google Plus and said, no, 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 you have to be a business to do this sort of stuff. And Pete Cashmore said, but that's who I am as a person. I actually publish a lot of the stuff. I'm like the Kawasaki kind of guy. I'm just constantly putting information. So they reinstate his account, but they're trying to pull away from the business-related type activities. I think they're in increasing that a bit more now but initially they tried to stop the business activities because they wanted it to be about people choosing results and building that search engine rather than businesses exploiting it to push their rankings up yeah i think um the the stats on it i've seen bigger stats in the 60 million but um yeah, I'm. I'm still a little bit on the fence on w- what uh, what the potential is for Google Plus, just because of the sheer um, strength that Google has behind them as a as an organisation. Just how how big they are. Um, that said, you know, Google have invented lots of things that um, you know have fallen by the wayside, and of course, you know, one of their biggest players was was Google Wave. And that was sort of going to be the big Google, you know, ne- Google Buzz next big thing, and you know various other ones that have fallen by the wayside. So, I mean, if you were to weigh it up on its merits at the moment, looking and look, you know, and looking at the scale of Google as an organisation compared to Facebook and others, um, I would say that Google Plus adds very little to Google's bottom line. Uh, they would likely be losing you know money on it in terms of the efforts that they have to put in to drive it. So. Um, you know, if you were sitting in there as you know on on the board saying should we keep this thing or not, um, you know they need to do a not a lot better with it over the next six months if uh, if it's still going to be around in a year or or two you know or two years time. Sixty two million users. That's how many Google Plus has got right at the moment, adding six hundred twenty five thousand new users per day. Prediction: four hundred million users by the end of two thousand and twelve. Now this is not active. This is new subscribers. Because when they're taking in anyone that signs up with a Google account now has to have Google Plus. Yeah, that's interesting. And I I had a look at that for somebody um, setting up a new uh, a new Google account. They didn't want to be on Google Plus. And what we found was you've got to do a lot of get this googling to find out how to get <laughs> off Google Plus. If you've got a new Google account, you can actually do it. You can create a Google account. You automatically get um, a Google Plus account created, and then you jump through some hoops, and you can actually get rid of it, uh, which is very interesting. So I have um, been through that process and got rid of the Google Plus account. Um, that was maybe a month or two ago. Uh, I yeah, I, I, you got to presume they'll keep keep that option open. But yeah, they're they're making sure that anyone that signs up for any Google service uh, gets Google Plus. But whether they use it or not is the big question and at the moment in most cases people are not using it um, and I was just having a look on my Google Plus account um, and if anyone wants to um, you know wants to say hi on Google Plus I am on there um, and I went to over the weekend I went to a tweet up of sorts um, for those that are uh, Twitter fans will know about that 
and I was asking, uh, is there a G plus equivalent other than the online hacker hangout, which is quite different? Um, and I asked the question, if not, do you think a G up would work? Um, and I got no replies to it. So I think, you know, usually when you put something like that out, you would expect to get some sort of response from somebody. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, that, that's one of the one of the examples. People just aren't so active on, uh, on, on Google+. So you put that on Facebook, for instance, you know, someone is going to reply and probably a few people and, yep. you know, give, give some comments. So, um, yeah, that's fascinating. Righty-ho, moving on. Now, one thing I didn't cover last week was um, about my um, technology or my gadget acquisition on my um, in, <laughs> on my Samoa holiday. So I'm wondering uh, if you guys can, 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 can guess. I'm being very quiet. I'm being what, good. what technology would I have brought back from that trip? Uh, I think Skip had USB coconut shell. I'm actually wondering if it was a, uh, one of those coconut bikinis now. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that in the phone hacking scandal. <laughs> All right. So what happened was I was travelling through Auckland International Airport as you do, um, as I had done a few weeks uh, prior as well, and I saw the uh, shiny new Sony uh, Sony Alpha. SLT A65 camera. Now, you bought another camera. Now, these cameras are really, really cool. <laughs> Hold on, no, me, he's like another, the mother Marcos of cameras. He's like a magpie effect with you. You see camera. Ooh, any, any gadget gets the uh, gets the same treatment. And um, but the cool thing about the uh, about these newest um, Sony Alpha um, cameras, which are very similar. Uh, or that I guess they compete with the uh, digital SLR cameras from Canon and Nikon, um, but the technology that is actually in these is not the traditional um, single lens uh, reflex technology. And one of the things that it allows um, Sony to do is a um, an improved autofocus during video. So they've got this technology called phase detection autofocus. Now. That technology, if you want to use the full HD uh, video facilities that are in this camera compared to the Nikon or the um, Canon, um, it's a big step up from the um, contrast-based uh, detection. And so, very cool piece of technology. I had the prior model, the one step down, and so I thought, hey, great opportunity to get the uh, 24 megapixel model rather than only the 16 megapixel. You're going for one for each eye. He wants to sit there and look through each lens and click at the same time to compare. So anyway, really cool camera. Um, anyone that is looking um, at getting into you know a higher end sort of camera, um, you know traditionally people have always looked at the Nikon or the Canon. Uh, if you haven't got anything, you don't have a whole stack of lenses and so on, and just starting out, it is well worth having a look at the Sony Alpha products because they are very very cool. How much? Uh, this one I think retails for about twenty one hundred. Although I got a pretty good price going through duty free, so that's worth noting. And also my old one, which is a Sony Alpha A fifty five, 
is up on Trade Me at the moment. So <laughs> someone, here's someone, the plug. So someone who wants to obviously try it out and 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 get in, and try out that technology will uh, somebody is going to uh, is going to pick that up this week. So if you sign it, you can make a celebrity signing on oh, that one. Stop it! It's no, awesome. No, no. Just sign across the lens. Um, <laughs> now you are, you said one thing which has caught my imagination a little bit. It's got an auto focus, right? Now, is this like a, a DSLR camera where you can do interchangeable lenses? Yes, it is. So yep. how does it handle the autofocus on a non... I'm, I'm assuming the autofocus is on, uh, will be available on, I guess, Sony-type lenses. Um, so non-Sony lenses won't be able to utilise this autofocus? Because they've a- got their... They've, they, what Sony did was they bought out... Um, you remember Koenig and Minolta used to make digital... Um, well, they used to make SLR cameras and then digital SLR. Yep. Sony bought that technology out. And they used the same mount, which is the, um, um, the A mount or the alpha mount mount uh, technology and if you've got the newest lenses and other people can make them then they would support that autofocus type technology as right. well okay um, just, it just seems because I guess a lot of photographers are used to with the DSLR cameras it's all manual all manual focus for well you control. can and you can do it as manual as you want yeah. and, and probably a most professional you know most professionals would probably tend to use manual focus on video right but for me as a consumer I, w- I want to camera that actually can do all of that sort of stuff automatically right. for me and I'm, so as a non-pro be... so you've yeah you've you're kind of the, their product sort of i guess straddles that space between the consumer and the professional and you know often goes by the term right. a prosumer um product so that's that's where their one fits the other thing that um that sony have included is um uh anti-shake type uh thing within their camera which with a lot of the other vendors um tends to sit on the lenses so you'd have to go out and buy a lens that has that sort of anti-shake in it um so that's and there's pros and cons of doing that but it um you know i think at the consumer type level anyway it's great having that feature it's just you know just built in as standard so um yeah nice um so there you go that's that's my uh my latest acquisition so nothing to do with coconuts at all no no (laughs) um now company a chinese company called huawei have been in the media in the last few days now huawei put on their um if i've got the uh title correct the um the asia pacific uh technology summit last year and i went along and, and heard a lot about um mobile communications fourth generation networks like LTE and so on and uh yeah it was a really good conference they'd flown in people really from all over the world um, when the when they ran that, and it was it was you know an excellent learning opportunity. Now they're in the gun at the moment though, because of uh, some of the things that um, I guess people are thinking may be a risk of dealing with them as a Chinese company. Um, and there's some some other reasons. Have you guys been uh, keeping up with some of this in the news? Look, to be fair, I, I've been a bit snowed, but I did catch up with it late this afternoon, and it's interesting because they've been banned in the US. Now they're banned in Australia, and we've got on the bandwagon. Now, I hope that the powers that be that are listening to this podcast are going, we are not going to be another lemming and follow Australia. Just because Australia is another state of America and they do everything America says doesn't mean we have to do it too, people. Let's, and if, look, if they are doing things bad, fine. Let's find the evidence. Let's go out there and actually have a look, and let's put it out there. But... The, the Australian government have just literally done a knee-jerk reaction based off American-fed information. And I'm not anti-America. I just think 
do it based off the facts, not based off an emotional or we want to get some more brownie points of America. Okay, so we're worried about Chinese technology being in play because of potential backdoors and security flaws that may enable... And they are in play already. Yep. And, yeah, it's in use in a lot of places. Um, I'd just like to point out that most of our technology gets manufactured out of that country anyway. I mean, looking at every single device in this room... Yep, yep, pretty much. Pretty much, except for maybe the sound desk, which maybe comes from Japan. Even Paul's manufactured out of China. Yep, I think most of Paul is from China. I'm Uh, local, man. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, that's the thing, is that we... The, the consumer is demanding cheaper and cheaper equipment, and to, to meet those demands, we're actually going to more uh, more efficient market manufacturing spaces, which is the likes of China. And so a lot of the technology, the ThinkPad there is coming from China. Uh, the HP, most of the manufacturing parts from China. The Nokia phone comes from China. The MacBook Pro. The MacBook Pros come from China. So we're sort of sitting there going, oh, you know, we've got all this technology stuff that's going to be uh, potentially, all the data that's going to cross these networks is going to be snooped by um, the Chinese well you know, maybe we should look at our laptops and fear those as well but my, my big bugbear about this whole issue is not that uh, the Chinese are potentially putting back doors and stuff, it's that potentially with any technology there is the opportunity for exploitation by the manufacturers regardless, so you, may, you may trust them totally, there is still that opportunity and if you're worried about data going across your cell phone network or your home data network because it's um, put together by who are we? Encrypt it. Encrypt your data between businesses. If you're a business-to-business communication, you don't just go, you know, we'll just chuck it across the net because it'll be fine. You encrypt that sucker at the points that you feel trusted right the way through. Now, I'm not going to get myself into trouble. I could do, I don't know. We'll see what happens. We may have to edit the recording afterwards. But um, there was a problem a long time ago with a organization in New Zealand that was offering data services uh, to businesses and it was touted as being a very secure data service. Now the problem was that it was kind of secure but it did have a slight security flaw which allowed people to uh, traverse down the shared service um, model. I I could explain it technically, it would take a little while and you could potentially gain access to other businesses data that were in the same shared model. So this sort of stuff can occur. And, of course, the thing is that we just expect that we buy a a data service which is labelled as private, and we expect that to be secure. It's not secure. We work in a shared environment with lots of other businesses. So if you have something that's really important not to get stolen or used, encrypt it. It's as simple as that. So this Huawei thing. Who cares if the Chinese are snooping on it? Encrypt your data. Well, I think there, there's a there's a little bit more that comes into into um, into play here, and it's that Huawei have been doing business in Iran and helping Iran to do certain things that maybe we in other parts of the world might not see as ethical. So I think that that's part of the. Um, you know that's part of the thing, but you know there are lot there are lots of um, I guess governments in the world that are doing things that we might not like, and China would be one of those, right? <laughs> yeah. And the United States is another one. True, that, that those be open, and mm-hmm. Britain has done it, and France, but they supply weapons, so we're sort of ruling out some quite big players in the world here, guys. It's mm. uh, yeah. mate, I, this is a grey area because even the big companies that we know and trust, and you're using one of their devices now although admittedly they sold that division off, also got into the same problem in the Second World War. 
because mm. they provide data services to a certain organisation or government that was uh, killing off thousands of millions of people. We've, we've got to see evidence that states that the, uh, this Hawaii group are doing something wrong. And at the moment, it's all speculation and rumour mill going out there. If they are, get rid of them. Seriously, just get rid of them. It's wrong. We shouldn't have it. But like you said, encrypt your data if you don't feel secure. But at the moment, it's all rumour mill. And the Australians actually have made a knee-jerk reaction without any facts. They, they literally have just pulled the plug on the UFB. Well, I think that they had made their decision some time ago, but it's just come out from, from what I've right. understood. But mm. All right. Now, in, in terms of more uh, local news, because at this stage it doesn't seem as though anyway, anyone is going to make any changes in terms of their, their dealings with Huawei from a New Zealand perspective, although uh, I hear that the Greens are calling for, um, you know, calling for things to be investigated. Um, but, but moving along, uh, another local story has been, um, there's been a raft of credit card fraud happening here in, in, um, in New Zealand, and this is very much in line with the discussions that, um, that we had in our uh, in our Chris, Christmas episode, um, with uh, in regards to um, the guy from Mako, um, and that was you know that was quite an interesting discussion. But now we're actually seeing the reality of it. It's uh, it's all over the the national media, right? Yeah, and I mean obviously this follows on from the in Auckland the um, car park terminals that got violated as well. So that's, that's right. Where yeah. we, we spoke to the, the the Mako guys from around that. So I, it's interesting. Do we know what banks this is basically on at the moment? Yep. So the deal is that uh, ANZ's uh, cash machines have had their, um, what do they call it, the anti-theft device system they have in place on those machines has been somewhat defeated. So you And get, some of their machines didn't even have that on e- them. Exactly. That's yep. the other issue, wasn't it? So um, what happened is they kind of found a way around it or just went to the what we call the low-hanging fruit, which is the machines that aren't protected, and they skimmed data card data from those machines. So when you say the anti-theft device, like on ASB, which I use, they have this green little sleeve that you slide in. Is that what you're talking about, or are you saying yeah. is it internal? Yeah, so th- there's a bit of that. There's a bit of internal stuff, but, I mean, the green sleeve is a, is a clear indicator that that stuff's in place. So they could they could have put their own green sleeve on though that isn't see through and people are so used to seeing a green sleeve With if there was a replacement green sleeve that was actually skimming you know scanning your card and collecting the details as you slid it in that would that would do the job for them wouldn't it without going into too much detail on what you could or couldn't do but you've effectively kind of got the right thing so the, uh, at the end of the day it's a cat and mouse game so you try and create systems that ensure the customers feel safe about using the machine. Uh, a quite a strong visual reference that the machine is safe and then you have the safeguards in place to stop things from happening but you're always going to be going back and forth now there's been a, a there was a scam in Australia which um, defeated a lot of stuff and that was um, in Western Australia in Perth uh, McDonald's had all of, a lot of FPOS machines replaced and they all um, basically guys broke into the store stole the FPOS machines um, store came the next day. Well, you know, if post machines have gone, let's ring the place up and say, "Look, can you get them?" Because you know we've had a whole bunch of stuff stolen. If post machines came back, as well as some other ones as well, so they put these other these units back in place into play, and they had um, encryption uh, tools and de- devices embedded into them that would skim cards. Um, the total value was around two two to five million US Australian dollars that was skimmed out of McDonald's in Western Australia alone. Wow. Um, they've only just recently caught up with these guys. But this is part of the this, this system where people are doing tours around the world. They just 
go on a holiday to a country and these hackers will start targeting the low-hanging fruit. So you've got your FPOS machines, you've got your um, uh, your cash flow machines without protection and they are doing this because they can make a shed load of money out of it. So it's not local baddies, you think this is offshore baddies? I would put money on mm. the table that it is almost 100% offshore guys. And the money was being withdrawn from the other side of the world as well. So, Cape Town, you know, wasn't it? It's likely, it's likely to be a team effort where you've got uh, you know, some guys that are tripping around the world from country to country, they put these things in, in place in yep. one city or one country, they move on to the next place. As the details get, you know, sucked in, they get pushed straight off to uh, offshore guys who are then, you know, pulling money out of bank accounts as quickly as they can. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting little um, scenario, really. Uh, I think we're going to see more of it in New Zealand, to be fair, uh, because they have been very active in Australia. Um, the Australian Federal Police came across to uh, KiwiCon last, this last year and talked about the whole scenario. Um, this is a bigger growth area in organised crime than drugs because generally the idea is that when you're dealing with drugs and selling drugs, um, you've got to deal with the side effects of drugs and all the Muppets and all that sort of stuff. Generally with uh, hackers, you don't have so much of that drug type of issue or have less of it. So it's a much cleaner and elegant uh, business for organised crime to get into. So you're advoca- advocating, you know, if any of us here or, or the listeners were uh, wanting to become crime bosses, this would be a uh, um, a great area to get into, Skip. For one, you'd be stupid. <laughs> because, I mean, the, the police, this is a huge growth industry. So the police across Australia and New Zealand are working hard together on this one, um, which is why they're starting to get arrests. They're very aware of movements of people around the globe. Um, this this is not something they do lightly. There are huge teams dedicated to this. So, um, I and think the, and the charges can be pretty big, can't they? And the in, charges in, can be in huge. some countries. Yeah. So I think um, the, the the benefit of this is that banks and the police are working together very closely. International police and everything. So they're aware of what's going on. They're aware of these guys trekking from different parts of the world. They can see trends occurring in different parts of the um, parts of the country or parts of the world, so they can understand that things are happening. I um, yeah, I, I think full credit for the the cops to get on top of this, and I I think the banks are really starting to wise up and get a lot of good systems in place. Like the ANZ, to their credit, have a system. I think it's called Falcon which actually started triggering alerts around this. So they were able to react quite quickly to the um, the problems that came out of this machine. Now, bear in mind, there's no disclosure laws in New Zealand. We don't, we don't aren't, um, we aren't as businesses, um, forced to disclose data Security loss and that sort of stuff. So, on. Yeah. so the, the fact that the ANZ are on top of this and being very public about it is f- full credit, guys. I mean, that's, that's really good work. Excellent. Now, also talking of um, of hacking, it's it's just um, come come through uh, um, in in the last day that um, the the hacker uh, Christopher Cheney, who um, was hacking into a whole bunch of celebrities' email accounts, um, including that of um, Scarlett Johansson, um, whose nude photos he uh, he sent off to various uh, media. Um, this guy has pleaded guilty to uh, to a whole bunch of uh, of charges for hacking, um, and this guy's um, thirty five, I think, and based in Florida. 
um, faces up to 60 years in um, in prison wow. in the US for uh, for doing this stuff. So, you know, that's the flip side of it. There's a there's a whole lot of risk associated with you know all the various forms of you know hacking and 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 fraud. And when you do it on an international basis, you open yourselves you know you would open yourself up um, to the sort of you know challenges that that Kim dot com for instance is. Has hit now whether whether he's guilty of of, of anything or not. Hey, that's n- n- not our topic of discussion. But um, you know, where where I guess um, you know in his case because he's been dealing across a lot of borders, he's left himself um, um, you know open to that situation of having to deal with law in lots of countries. And the same you know would apply for uh, you know for hackers who are uh, who are who are doing things online and potentially. Uh, uh, having to deal with all sorts of laws in, in many different countries. How do they hack it? I mean, I know the I know the, the voicemail one is you dial the voicemail and you try the standard one 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 and all those type of passes. But how do you? He's actually got onto the phone and downloaded the pictures off the phone of the prospective celebrities. Is it? Does he duplicate the phone because you've actually got to physically have the phone from what I read? How do, how do you do it? Okay. Without leave out some key bits that make it hard for people to copycat. Okay, so just a real, I can tell you exactly how it happens, but from a 10,000 foot view, yes, please. your device, and this is thanks to the New Zealand government, if you drive a car, will have Bluetooth enabled on it. It's one of the weakest points on a cell phone. So you said the cell phone has Bluetooth enabled on it? Yep, but well, if you drive, your phone, every one of us in this room will have Bluetooth enabled on their phone, right? Because we drive yeah, oh, and sure. we've got to get car kits and so that sort of stuff. Okay, so there's there's one of your first weakest points on the phone, and in fact, it's one of the biggest weakest points on a phone. So there are a variety of things you can do to gain access to Bluetooth stacks. But it requires I would have to be in the presence of said phone within the Bluetooth radius, right? Okay, so I do a lot of movie reviews, right? So I go to get to go to previews, and now and again, what happens on some previews? We all have to hand our phones in so that we don't co- record the movie because you know that's what you do apparently mm-hmm. uh, on a cell phone and transmit it before it goes to air, right? So you hand your cell phone in to be um, to the uh, security guys, and they're all put together in a box for you to collect at the end of the night. How many people turn their phone off before they put it in there? Not some, many. And I'd would, say if you're would. if you're a person that reviews stuff or you have to hand your phone over, pin code it first, switch it off second. Totally switch that device off because I could come along with a device and hand it in, looks like a cell phone, and it could sit there and quite happily for an hour and a half to two hours, depending on how long the movie is, brute force hack my way through all the phones in that box that are still switched on. And that would give you, you'd be able to get, get 100% access, access to that phone? Potentially. And would you be able to, no, I'm, I'm curious now, so you would be able to sit in the office here and go, oh, I'm going to, imagine Paul's over in his offices down the road, you'd be able to get onto his phone even with a fair distance or is it, again, location-based? It is a bit location-based, but uh, I've done some tests on another thing um, with a 24 dB gain Yagi, which is a long, long tube um, sitting on the deck up here at the office and pointed into the traffic and you can pick up so many different cell phone devices and um, Bluetooth kits and stuff. I could send audio to Bluetooth kits as they drive past um, quite happily. Wow. Yeah. There's all, all sorts of things you can do. Okay, well, here's a question. This this chap's up for, um, you know, potentially 60 years in jail. 
Yeah, it's, it's do, huge. Do, I mean, does that actually make any sense? Does that fit the Does that fit the crime when we you know we look at people, you know, doing with violence and manslaughter and rape and other things, getting you know a fraction of that sort of sentence? Why Why would you give a sixty year sentence, or is that or is that just you know an American anomaly? Because it wouldn't happen here, crazy. would it? It's crazy. It I mean, it's crazy. You can murder someone. And be out in 15 in the US, unless you get premeditated, which can get life, depending on what state you're in. But if you like, if they don't have the death penalty, you can get 15 years and be gone. This guy happened to put out Scarlett Johansson's body parts on the internet and could get 60 years. Mm. I think it's, it's, it's a strange th- world. I think it's like a giant deterrent stick is what that that is. It's trying to tell, send a signal to everyone else, don't do this. Because it's just, it is quite ridiculous. Yeah, well, there are there are some there are some oddities in uh, in U.S. law. With apologies to Obama and his team. Um, now, <laughs> talking of U.S., there's a particular um, Californian-based company that um, our friends at Apple. Who <laughs> I love you're going to tiptoe around and you went, oh bugger friends at Apple yeah um, <laughs> now they've been a, they've been a, there's been a bit of media coverage in, in the last few days around um, their concept of a um, nano SIM card which is a you know of course they introduced the micro SIM card which is which is is good because it you know allows us to have you know phones where that are smaller and so on because you've got less space taken up for the uh, for the SIM card. They're now talking from going from the micro SIM that they invented to a nano SIM card, but there's a whole bunch of scrapping that's going on in Europe, particularly with Nokia, but also with a lot of the other um, uh, cell phone companies around setting the um, the standard for what this nano SIM card should be. So, do we need it? Well, I think yeah. the le- the less space every part takes up, the more functionality you can have in your phone, the more battery you can have, the bigger screen. Or- all of those sorts of things, or if nothing else, the tougher your phone is because you've got that amount of space that's freed up to give you maybe a more you know robust you know casing and yeah, and the like better aerials. So it, it it definitely is good, and you know there's no point having a big SIM card if you guys remember back to the early days of um, yeah of GSM, your SIM card was actually a was basically a credit card in size. Um, and the chip was the same size as it still is today, but you would actually slide this big credit card into your phone. In fact, I think the very first GSM phone I had when uh, Bell South launched in New Zealand used one of those big cards, and it wasn't until the later models that they went down to the what we call the standard size SIM today. So what are Apple complaining about? Are they com- the design, the shape, the color, or are they actually going about the functionality on the chip? Well, what they're saying is this is what the design should be, and the other guys are saying, hey, no, this is what this design should be. So there, oh, there's just some boy. warring factions over setting the, the standard. But what we certainly don't want to see, you know, whichever one comes out, we want one standard that anyone can use, and that it isn't encumbered by a whole lot of patents and issues. And that's part of the, you know, part of this challenge that we keep seeing all of these sort of patent, uh, <laughs> you know, fights going on. So let's hope that one gets settled without too many issues, because the sooner we go to the smaller sim, the, the you know, the more benefit we get with our newer phones. Agreed. Um, now, one last story for um, for this evening. Um, just came across a new company that's launched called Wharf 42. Oh, this is they got the startup money in Silicon Valley, didn't they? So is that right? Yeah. This yeah, this is um, a company involving um, Brett Roberts, who was um, a good ex- friend of mine actually. Yep. Oh, there you go. 
uh, he's been Microsoft and a lot of other roles within the yep. um, business and, and, and technology worlds. And he listens to the show. Hey, Brett. Oh, that's very nice to hear. And that's Alex. Good. Hey, Brett and Alex. Um, so we understand what they've done. Um, they're, they're based in, uh, in Tauranga, but um, they've got this new operation, which is, um, which is designed um, to, I guess, bridge the gap between uh, New Zealand uh, entrepreneurs and, um, and Silicon Valley in the U.S. to really um, you know, help uh, New Zealand operations to be able to uh, get themselves um, launched on a global basis, so um, so yeah, it sounds sounds pretty uh, pretty interesting, and it's good to see, you know, a lot more focus uh, in New Zealand on on the launch and the startup of sort of um, technology oriented businesses that um, can launch out onto a global basis and start bringing export revenues and and uh, you know and and uh, and so on back into New Zealand. I like that. I like it a lot. I mean, we have a lot of great ideas. We just don't necessarily have the cash pool funds that the West Coast and the States, for example, has. So, yeah. So, um, very cool to see uh, to see um, you know Brett's involved in that um, and running that here in New Zealand as CEO. Um, but also, he's he's still uh, involved in uh, in Business IQ, which is um, uh, his business consultancy um, here in Auckland, I believe. So, um, yeah, very very cool. Well, that probably uh, that probably brings us to the end of our agenda for uh, for episode sixty three of the NZ Tech Podcast. So, thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, we'll be back again uh, next week with all sorts of uh, tips and bits and pieces. You can, of course, find us online nztechpodcast.com, twitter.com slash nztechpodcast, and facebook.com slash nztechpodcast. Uh, we're even on Google Plus. I was going to say, are we on so Google Plus? You, you should find us on Google Plus. Uh, I think, although we're, we're uh, our no, we, we are we we run through our uh, our three minutes a month on there uh, um, pretty quickly. So. Um, um, All the Google fanboys are just putting darts in your face right now. Hey, there is a new menu item on uh, on the Google toolbar called Google uh, Play. For those that haven't haven't picked it up now, I don't know if you get this with all uh, logins because I'm often sort of fairly US tweaked. But um, yeah, have a uh, have a little bit of a look at uh, at that if you're interested. Now you can find each of us on Twitter. I'm uh, at Paul Spain. You had to think about that. Um, I'm at Brad Bohr. and I'm at uh, Urban Kiwi NZ, also on Google Plus. <laughs> Excellent. So Brad's the only odd one out. At the, Borrows at, 23 at the on Google+. Plus. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so uh, everyone's there. All right. Excellent. Hey, thanks everyone for listening in. We'll catch you soon. Bye. Bye.